When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt and Andy Brandt-Bernard. Got a couple of great uh, guests coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Right after this, we'll be back. Ulysses the Monster Diaz will join us right after this with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer. And get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say, why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state, so we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Our special guest, Ulysses the Monster Diaz. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you for this opportunity. How are you doing today? We're doing extremely well. You know, a lot of people call me the monster, but for a different reason, Ulysses. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I know. Ulysses, Ulysses, did you grow up in uh, in Cuba? No, I was born and raised in Miami. My parents are Cuban. Oh, because it says in the, in the bio, it says uh, Ulysses the Monster Diaz, a professional boxer from Cuba. That's what it says there. So that's why, that's why I always ask that question, because once in a while... Bios and don't get written properly, but I will tell you this: my wife and I uh, just went to Cuba last year and absolutely loved it. You, you spend any time in Cuba? Yeah, I've been to Cuba a couple of times, and uh, the majority of my family's over there. Cuba's a beautiful place to be. Oh, it is a gorgeous place, and the people could not be nicer. By the way, not could not yeah, be nicer. Yes, but in any case, uh, Ulysses, the monster, Diaz, a professional boxer, family's from Cuba. He was born and raised in Miami. He is the cruiser division. Uh, he's in the cruiser division. His professional record consists of 12 fights, 11 wins, 10 by knockout. He currently resides in Miami. Um, how are things going? You, you have, you're sheltered in place, aren't you, down there, Ulysses? Yeah, I'm at the house right now. You know, the whole the whole world's under quarantine right now, but uh, we're making the best of it. You know, I'm still training every day and uh, getting as much done as possible. That's a good thing. So, uh, now, how, how old are you right now, Ulysses? I just turned 39, sir. Well, you started, so how, when did you start your boxing career? I started my boxing career at the age of 35. 
professionally. I, I did my amateur boxing when I was 17, 18 years old. But I've had my ups and downs in life, and, and you know, life has taken me all around the world, and, and, and uh, in good places and bad places. And um, I, I like to I like to say that I had this this, this uh, epiphany when I was 35 years old, where I, was, I felt like I was wasting away, and and I wanted to use <laughs> I wanted to use this talent that I had of fighting my whole life in a in a better way. And uh, I turned to boxing, which is my first love, and uh, it's been I've been living the dream ever since. That is a wonder. See, that's a wonderful thing. 35, 39, whatever it is, you do what you want to do. You do what you were born to do. Um, now, if you don't mind, where did you grow up in, in the Miami area? Well, my group is, is called South Miami, South Miami area. Oh, you did? Okay. Because there are certain parts of Miami. People always picture Miami as being this beautiful, you know, oceanfront. Town. And it is. It's a gorgeous town. There's no question about it. But there are some parts of Miami you better be able to throw a punch if you grow up down there. Not all of it, just parts <laughs> that's of it. A, that's absolutely right. You know, that, that, that's true. That, that's absolutely right. you got to know how to defend yourself down here in, in, in certain places. But I think that goes for anywhere in the world, you know. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, this yep. is a big city, and, uh, and, and things do happen down here, so you got to know how to defend yourself. Ulysses, do you think there's something special in a boxer's brain? I mean, somebody who's a good boxer. Is there something in your brains that you just go, look, I was born to do this. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm really good at. Is it, is it a way of thinking, do you think, that makes people good boxers? I mean, you've got to have physical talent, but the brain's a huge part of it, isn't it? I think, I think you know, that, that's great you said that. I think 90% of it is more mental. You know, there's a physical part. Mm -hmm. Anybody could go through a physical part. It's a little rigorous. You know, it's not easy, but, but it, it's, mm -hmm. it's the easier part of the two. The mental part. The mental aspect of it, uh, the anticipation for fights, making weight, you know, staying the course, going to sleep early, eating good food, you know, staying away from people you don't need to be around. It, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot, you know, a lot of mental hard, hardness and um, to, to, to get to, to be a professional fighter, to stay as a professional fighter. You know, it's really funny, Ulysses. I grew up in an area with, with a, uh, a few people that became professional fighters, and the one thing they all had in common, which I thought was just terrific, so where did you get your attitude, your, your mental attitude about being a boxer? Where did you get that mental toughness? Every one of them told me it was from their mother, <laughs> which I think was, I think that's. <laughs> you know that's, what? That's, I would say the same exact thing. I would say the same there exact thing. There you go. I was actually having a conversation a couple of days ago, and I was saying that. I just, I, I think it's just wonderful, Ulysses, and that's why I brought it up because, just talking, it, it, they get it. Great boxers get it. Uh, their inspiration from their mothers, which I, you know, and I, I was raised by my mother, so maybe that's why I paid so much attention to it. I'm not a fighter or anything like that, but, but the influence of my life was my mother. There's no doubt about it. So I do understand that whole situation. Um. So you, at 35, you decided to go professional. Most guys, most people yes, would consider, sir. well, 35, that's, that, uh, aren't you too old to be just starting out a boxing career? I mean, a professional boxing yeah, a, career. A, a lot of guys, are, a lot of fighters are retiring at that age. Yeah, so why do you think you did that? Why did you wait till you were 35? Do you have other duties and responsibilities? You know what? You know, I had a lot going on. I had, um, when I was younger, I went, I went to, you know, I got in trouble for, for fighting. I went to prison for fighting. I came out, I, 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 you know, I had a couple odd jobs here and there doing like security for certain people in bodyguard and I loved it, but I always wanted to be a fighter. I, I trained as a kid. I started boxing when I was like seven. I always loved the sport. I always kept up with it. I did my amateur boxing as a kid, but when I was, when I was doing my amateur boxing, I already had kids of my own. So it was hard to, you know, fight in the amateurs and, and, and for no money and try to raise a family. So it, it was tough for me. And, and I took myself in, in a lot of bad directions with a lot of bad people. And at 35, I just had this, I had, you know, I, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I wasn't happy. I was living in Colorado. I wasn't happy with, with, with what I was, had going on over there. And I said, you know what? Mm -hmm. Like, I got to give this a try before it's, you know, I, I, I did it. It started off as a bucket list thing. I'm like, I got to try this just to say I did it. Tell my kids I did it. You know, and then I, I, I started training for the fight. I took my first fight. It was in Dominican Republic. I won my first round knockout. And it was, it was like, the best thing I've ever done in my life for myself, and uh, and here I am at 39, and I'm like I said, I'm living the dream. It's it's it's, it's amazing. Life is great. You no, know, I'm 12 and one with 11 knockouts. I hold the National Boxing Association Cruiserweight title. I just fought a bare knuckle fight on pay per view. You know, it's 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 great. It is a great situation. Isn't it nice to know that that 
a kid in uh, now the South Miami. There, it, you didn't grow up too poor, did you? In South Miami? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't grow up. I mean, you know, we grew up, uh, you know, lower middle class. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but but yeah, you know, was that Overtown? Is that the one area? Is that even there anymore? Yeah. O Town. Yeah, o- Overtown. I mean, it's 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 a little bit there. It's, it hardly exists anymore there. Everything's getting gentrified, and that's just not just here, but everywhere. But yeah, that's that was yeah. that was the roughest part of town. Yeah. Don't you think it's wonderful though that a young guy from South Miami, lower middle class, has a dream, lives his life? Like you said, you had some ups and downs. You might have had to stay at the Gray Bar Hotel for a while, as they used to say in my neighborhood. <laughs> I love the Gray right. Bar Hotel, a name for you know, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But. So you get out and you decide, I'm going to do this anyway. Isn't it terrific that you live in a place like America, like Florida, like Miami, where you could do what you wanted to do? And most people go, ah, you're 35, you're too old. But you were able to do what you do, and you're having great success doing it. Man, I, I, tell you, I can't tell you, I can't stress it enough. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be doing what I'm doing. I love like they say, if you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. That, that's you know, that's not just a cliche. That's true for me. I love it. Um, it's amazing. I you know. I heard. I heard all the. Oh, you're too old for this, and you're too old for that, and you can't do it. And all this. I heard that mm-hmm. all at the beginning. And all those people who were non-believers are now believers and are behind me, pushing me. You know, to keep going, and 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 I love it. You know, I I, I, I I'm I'm in a I'm in the best place in my life that I've ever been. Mentally, physically, See, that's... spiritually, I feel I feel amazing. That's great to hear. That is really, really nice to hear. As a matter of fact, I uh, okay. So, how t- how tall are you, Ulysses? I'm five ten. You're five ten, but a cruiser weight. Yes, sir. What's the bottom weight? The cruiser weight's like over two hundred pounds, right? Yeah, the cruiser weight is under two hundred. Over two hundred is heavyweight. So, so from one seventy five between one seventy five and two hundred. Oh, okay, to two hundred. Well, one seventy six okay. and two hundred is a cruiser. Because one seventy five is light heavyweight, which I also fought. I fought light heavyweight. I fought cruiser. But I won this title on cruiserweight. No, you must be a pr- pretty muscular guy to be. I, I would imagine that kind of shape, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm five ten, two hundred pounds right now. And that's exactly in, in right terrific now. shape. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm right? in, uh, yeah. I'm. In, I'm in, I mean, I feel like I'm in great shape. I work out every day. Do you know how much longer you? Because I was trying to think, George Foreman. Now, when I was in high school, by the way, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, North High School, our our hall guard was George Foreman, who would later go on to some pretty spectacular things in the, in the boxing ring. He had met a woman from St. Paul, Minnesota, and moved to St. Paul for a very brief period, and he was our hall guard for a while. You didn't want to mess George with George Foreman, Foreman as a whole. Yeah, George Foreman, oh, for a short time, was our hall that's guard. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Ulysses, nobody misbehaved, I will tell you that. <laughs> I bet George did not play around. <laughs> And look at George, man. George is a perfect example. He came back at a late age and became a world champion, the oldest one ever to uh, to win a world championship. Yep. And that's exactly why I brought up his name, because he came back and he was, I mean, he fought professionally. I don't even remember how old he was when he stopped, but he was in his, well into his 40s, wasn't he? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then he beat, he beat uh, Chris Bird for the championship uh, when he was like 49, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> to, win, to win the title. That's great. It is just great, though. I mean, see, that's the thing about boxing. Do you think, now, boxing, because of UFC, has maybe fallen off a little bit. Do you think it will ever, I don't like UFC as much as I like professional boxing. Now, I'm, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, but I grew up, I grew up in the Muhammad Ali era. Cassius Clay, actually, when he first came out, and that's, I was a a little boy when Cassius Clay broke through and became Muhammad Ali later. So I will always love boxing. You know, I'm not nothing against UFC or MMA or any of that other stuff. I mean, those guys are tough. There's no question. But boxing, that you know, the art of boxing, I've always really enjoyed that. It, it, it's the sweet science, you know. And uh, talking mm-hmm. about Muhammad Ali, he was obviously one of my favorites too. If you're a fighter and he's not your favorite, it's, it's hard. But um, I uh, I started training down here in Miami at Fifth Street Gym, which was Muhammad Ali's gym down here in Miami. And it's uh, you know so nostalgic, and I and I fought. I, I did about seven fights out of that gym, and uh, you know I still go over there. I'm still I'm still great friends with the guys who own there, and I go over there and spar all the time. And it's incredible the, the history in that gym. You know, it's it's obviously not in the same location, but but it still has the, that that you know that, that nostalgic feeling of, of mm-hmm. that, that Ali was there. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
No, I no question about it. He had one of the greatest quotes. And by the way, Muhammad Ali also did something. And I think a guy like you, you we're talking Ulysses the Monster Diaz, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a guy like you can continue this on because up until Muhammad Ali, I think people always thought that that professional fighters, particularly heavyweights, were stupid and they didn't know what the hell they were talking about. You know, they were just kind of big, dumb guys that could throw a punch. And then Ali comes along, Cassius Clay comes along and changes all that. I will never forget one of his quotes. He was talking to Dick Cavett on the Dick Cavett Show. You might be too young to remember that show. But he was being interviewed on national television, and they showed the Ken Norton punch where uh, Norton punched him and broke his jaw, right? And the host of the show looked at Muhammad Ali and said, my goodness, uh, if I got hit that hard by him, I'd, I'd probably still be knocked out. And there was a pause, and Ali said, if he hit you that hard, your beneficiaries would still be collecting. <laughs> Which I thought, he would have killed you, That's pal. Awesome. Yeah, Muhammad Ali was a really articulate person, very smart individual. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, there, there's, there, it goes from uh, any sport you have uh, everywhere. On. You have the dumb guys and you have the smart guys. But uh, honestly, I've met a, very, a lot of very, very intelligent individuals that are, that are in the boxing game, you know? Very smart mm-hmm. guys, and it takes smarts well, to be in here. You know, it's not just uh, just not, it's not just get in there and throw punches. You have to, you have to be very, uh, you have to be smart to be in the ring and, and, and do the right thing. I think you're absolutely right, Ulysses. You are. I, we only got one more minute with you. I know you got to go, unfortunately, but I'd love to have you back, Ulysses. You're the the exact kind of guy you were talking about. You're a smart guy. You're well spoken. You've got the heart for it. You've got the ability for it. You got the size for it. So, all the best in the world, Ulysses. Please come back soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Hope you guys have a great day and stay safe. You too, sir. Thank you. Ulysses, the monster Diaz, will be right back with the family. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? (laughs) Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. (laughs) Chuck Knobloch. 2020 never looked so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. I always have to wait for the big uh, strokes to the keyboard right here. So depending on the cut, that can take a half an hour. Well, that's true. It depends on which cut this yeah, is. Seems to be going for quite a while. Why do you refuse to turn? Yeah. Boom. Are you trying boom, to send me a boom. message, Tom? You haven't been turning on my mic. Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought you were. In. Don't talk. I, I just thought you were ready to. You were doing something else. I don't know what the that whole deal is. This is pretty interesting. What's that? Um, South Park. Mm-hmm. You still watch South Park, ever, Andy? I haven't watched South Park in a long time. Actually, probably three years. Oh. Oh, really that long? Yeah. Because apparently South Park, and I was sent this by Doc Ketchmark, so I'm assuming uh, that they're they're back up and and on this time. Well, yeah. That's the one I was telling you about last hour. 
Oh, the my pillow. Yeah, Mike Lindell actually tweeted that out. Oh, he did. Yeah. Hmm. Show me on this doll where the my pillow CEO hurt you by mentioning God and the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. Can we stop with that whole deal? Just because somebody believes in God. Uh, or, you know, the Bible. or Why is that all of a sudden horrible? Because I would like to challenge those same people that are bitching about that to say that to people who read the Koran or the Torah or whatever, because it's not true. People can find peace and happiness in a belief in God. Now, hope. if they shove it down your throat, that's a different deal. I'm not talking about that at all. But by shoving it down your throat, I mean imposing it on you personally. To mention that on television is not doing it to you personally. You just happen to be watching. So calm down. Why, Andy, why do, people, why do you think people are so whipped up right now? Social media, regular media. Nothing, be- yeah, nothing better to do right now anyway. Yeah. You think that's what it is? They're sheltered in place and they, get on, they have to get on digital and make complete asses of themselves and saying the well, ridiculous things they say? Yeah, I mean, because if, <clears throat> if you get on any social media, it's just, you know, it's the extreme people that are just on there constantly mm-hmm. complaining about everything. So is it, is it the same people that just bitch and bitch? They say that, uh, that 10% of the people write 95% of the negative things. Yep, it's That sounds true. about right. So you guys believe that as well? Yes, yeah, I mean I the newspapers do. are one of yeah are one of the worst. Oh, the newspapers are horrendous. I'm sorry, but they just once again they can say whatever whatever they want about. Well, if you're a public figure, you can say whatever they want about you. There's nothing you can do about it. So they go out of their way to make you look bad and to lie. And, and I don't know. I still don't understand why they're allowed to do that. Just because you're you know an actor or a television or person or whatever. I don't. Why did we ever pass a law? You could do or say whatever you want about a public figure. How does that make sense to you? I don't know when it became okay to just become a you know just make up lies about people. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what the situation. I mean, I is. guess the problem is is that you know if every celebrity start tried to fight back and sued everybody that would lie about them or public figure, not just celebrity, they'd go broke mm-hmm. and they could spend all their time doing it. Yeah. So they're like, hey, you know, and I get it's just lazy journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to be now. Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I'm looking at a story right now, and there's no question this was intentional. The headline is "Governors Plead for Urgent Changes to Food Aid." Okay, that's the that's the headline. Mm-hmm. Governors plead for urgent changes to food aid. The person they're showing is severely overweight. No, they did that on purpose. Don't you think? Yeah, you'd think that they would it's not like, do that. You'd think that they would go out of their way to not try to involve somebody's personal weight in this whole thing. But uh, the media now thinks they can do whatever they want. I just I don't know what the situation is. Andy, now you're in Minnesota. We're going to be back on Friday night. Looking forward to it. Getting back mm-hmm. home is going to be great. But... Uh, Minnesota's doing an incredible job with COVID-19. There still have been only, what, 29 deaths, I think. something like that. Look, 29 deaths, 29 deaths, a lot of people. But it's not thousands of people. They're now, they've now changed their tune, by the way. They were talking about 100,000 to 240,000 people dying. They say now it might be between somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000. So by the time they're done with it, what is it going to be actually? 20,000, 30,000? Where is it right now? I don't even know. I don't know. And they keep on saying that the models are all off. And Yeah, they're saying they don't know if the models are even accurate. Well, yeah, we don't know if someone, you know, a 90-year-old person gets a chest cold and dies. You know, that's just something that happens. But we don't, we'll never know whether or not that was COVID-19 or the that was just an old person with bad lungs dying because they, we don't but, test so- everyone. Would they call it COVID just to call it COVID? Uh, probably in a lot of cases, yes. That's really? the thing. Is I mean, that's why it's like well, they can't do that. we have between 10 and 3 trillion people who have COVID-19. It's because, you know, it depends on whether or not you call unconfirmed cases, you know. If there are unconfirmed mm-hmm. cases in there, then the numbers are going to be bigger. But that necessarily means that some of those numbers aren't going to be right. But, you know, if you say only people who've been tested for it, well, that's underestimating because not everyone who has it has been tested for it. And there's really just 
All you can do is give the low end and the high end and say it's somewhere between these two numbers. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, because, right. I mean, computer models are not right in a lot of instances. Storms, right. Right. sometimes they're right on the money, you know, and that's wonderful that we can all be forewarned. Yeah. But, you know, hurricanes hit in different places all the time from the computer models. I mean, even a thunderstorm. Yeah, it's just computer models aren't infallible. You know what I still love about this whole COVID-19 thing? There's one case in in, uh, Greenland, but no cases in Russia. (laughs) What? What? Look at the map. They're saying that there's no cases in Russia? Yeah, it's not showing up at all in Russia. Well, does Russia do a lot of uh, traveling outside of I, Russia? Yeah, that's I the would thing. think so. I mean, yeah, if they're not, Oops, they're not going anywhere. Then maybe they wouldn't get infected. Yeah, maybe they there's wouldn't. a lot of cities yeah, in Russia be. that are just so far from anything else. There's no way yeah, they could spread there. Or, well, there's, yeah, well, there's a lot of cities that are very close to, um, the I mean, those bordering countries that have it. So you yeah. would think that they'd still get it. So the good thing about this is they, they were talking about in the United States, the death rate, the deaths would be between 100 and 240,000. As of today, it's 12,197. So now they're saying basically it could be somewhere between 50 and 100,000. I'm hoping by this time next week, if those numbers don't explode. Now, this is supposed to be the worst week of it all. Um, and they did show an uptick in New York of deaths in New York. Um, Minnesota, is it, is it still 29, Andy? Do you know? Uh, I can find like out. You don't have to look at that. Maybe like 31. Was so it 31? It's gone up no. a tiny okay. bit, yeah. According to well, this yeah. web website, Statista, uh, Moscow has the highest number of people infected. Well, that's where everyone Russia travels over, to in Russia. Over 5.1 thousand cases. So 5,000. Followed by the Moscow Oblast with 454 cases. Okay. So not a lot for the size of the country, no. You know what's amazing about this? You look at this. Now, this is Minnesota. And once again, tip of the cap to Minnesota because you've done one hell of a job. One hell of a job with this whole situation. Um, I'm looking at some of, the, some of the stats here. Minnesota has confirmed 986 cases. 470 have recovered and only 30 deaths, thank God. And again, only 30 is a lot of deaths, but comparatively it's not a lot of deaths. But here's the amazing thing. Uh, Minnesota has had 470 people recover. In order to get more people that have recovered from it, um, you have to go up to basically Tennessee, 3,800 and 356 recovered. Then you have to go up again all the way to Massachusetts. I mean, you have to get into the top five. Minnesota is doing an incredible job recovering from COVID-19. Now, why is that? Is there any word on the street, Andy, why Minnesota is doing such a great job recovering from COVID-19? Well, the vast majority of cases so far are in giant cities. You know, I think like yeah, they are, yeah. 75% of the cases are in just a handful of cities, which is the nature mm-hmm. of cities. Cities spread disease. Minnesota right. only has two really big cities, and until recently, no one was going there because it was so cold. You know, not a yeah, whole lot of true. people go to Minneapolis and St. Paul from out of state in the dead of no, winter. No, you don't have a big tourist uh, industry yeah. there. So there hasn't been a whole lot of travel, and even if people did yeah. travel here, they stayed inside mostly because it was too cold. And even, you know, what is the population of Minneapolis? Minneapolis is about 3.4 million. Let's see, 3.4 million compared to New York City, which is... Well, now, wait a minute. you got to do Minneapolis-St. Paul. So I guess. the whole seven-county area is probably about 4 million. Yeah, so, you know, New York City by itself is... Uh, only it's over twice that much many people it is yeah. crammed into one area right. and disease spread in terms of population density it's exponential growth not you know it's not like you know twice right. the people twice the cases it's twice the people you know six seven times the cases because every yeah. person is a vector and that's probably why that, that probably does make sense because the more people are packed in, the more increase you're going to have yep. just because they're all right on top of one another. I imagine that's a, that's a big part of it. 
but mom and I are still healthy, thank God. Get on the airplane on Friday and come home. I'm looking forward to that. If I do we wish get... I could find a good mask. <laughs> a, ma- a good mask? Yeah, Just, no. I know that there's like an... one of those. Well, there's like nobody on the airplane, so I guess I'm. Yeah. Well, if you wear a scarf, you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, there's only one other person on the airplane, isn't that right? Well, I don't know how many people will actually be on. Apparently, there there are some people on that you know are traveling home or whatever, or personnel that are being shifted from this hospital right, to that hospital right. and um, that kind of thing. So there aren't a lot of people on flights right now. No. But I don't know what you're going to see when you go into an airport if all I'm guessing all the vendors are closed down. They wouldn't want to have those open. I would think that's probably right. They're not going to have, yeah, they're not going to have the little no. stores and nothing, all that stuff open. Nothing will probably be open. It's going to be an interesting uh, situation. Restaurants will not be open. No mm-hmm. question about that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I imagine the bookshops will be open with the little, you I know. I don't think so. You don't think so? Mm-mm. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't not. think anything's going to be open. I'd, well, be sh- I'd be surprised if there is anything open. You'd be surprised if anything was open. Yeah. Yeah, because well, I mean, it's not right. not essential to go get a magazine, right? Well, I'm bringing eight eight books home with me, so I think I'm covered. <laughs> bring your own books. I'm bring your own, own food. Books. That's true. Bring your own food. Bring it. Well, which we can do. That's I got no problem with that. We'll take a break here. Be right back with Dr. Kate Bieberdorf. I believe is how you say her name. Bieberdorf or Bieberdorf. Kate, the chemist. The Big Book of Experiments. Kate, the chemist. The Big Book of Experiments. Dr. Kate with us next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Hi, it's Tom. The CDC says cancers associated with overweight and obesity make up 40% of cancers diagnosed in the U.S. The CDC also tells us that people with heart disease, diabetes, and lung disease carry increased risk of complications from the coronavirus. We know that losing excess weight improves our health, our heart, and can reverse type 2 diabetes. Do what I did. Lose 20 to 40 pounds or more with help from my friends, Ultimate Wellness and Weight Loss, powered by Nutrimos. Become healthier before summer gets here. Ultimate makes it quick and easy. Plus, they are strong science certified for being safe and effective. To help you get healthy in this time of crisis, Ultimate is giving all clients 25% off for a limited time. Plymouth, Edina, and Woodbury. Start today by scheduling an immediate consultation. Call Ultimate Weight Loss, powered by Nutrimost. 763-333-7337. 763-333-7337. 763-333-7337. Or go to ultimatewl.com. That's ultimatewl.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are... God, the show's almost over already. What the hell? Went flying by. I think it's a good uh, good situation because we really haven't had many people on here uh, doing the show right now bitching about either Republicans or Democrats. So I really appreciate that. I want you to know that. Seriously, you, uh, Kristen Burt, Andy, nobody's, I hate you because you're that uh, that type of part. Whatever. Well, what's the point? I know. What is I just the don't point? don't get the point of it. I don't either. Andy, someone your age, what, how do you see this thing? Uh, I'm still waiting on the guest on hold. Oh, so you're just so. going to be listening to to what she's on, what she's on, uh, as soon as she's passed she early, you know. Yeah, and if you know, if she, it's been a few minutes, then she's probably. I would imagine someone in her position is rather busy. That would uh, that'd be the impression that I got anyway. She's probably really, really busy. So we'll see what happens along those lines. But I just, um, I don't know. I just, I hope we've gotten to the point now that people, do you think we'll ever get to a point, Catherine? If it's 10% of the people doing all the bitching on Twitter and the other 90% people aren't, 
Are we going to get to a point where they're just so sick of this that they're not going to even want to hear about it anymore? I, I think that every once in a while the tide starts turning. People, you, you just, I mean, even the most angry person has to get tired of listening to themselves spout off hateful messages constantly. God, I would think And if so. people just stop listening to it and um, responding to it, that's the biggest thing. If you want to shut somebody up, you just don't respond to it. Yeah, it is, you know, let them scream and yell, and if they don't get 50 billion likes because they're screaming and yelling, then they're just going to go, wait a minute, that didn't work anymore? I need to regroup. If people would start liking positive messages and responding to positive messages and constructive messages, then all of this stuff will go away. That, you know, that's the only way to stop it is just to not pay attention to it. Well. Here's a, the reason I asked that question is because this just popped up just uh, minutes ago. As a matter of fact, it was about well, it was about a half an hour ago that it popped up. Now uh, they've been they've been hinting at this for quite a while. Coronavirus is hitting one community particularly hard. Who would that be, Andy? Catherine, who would that be? Uh, probably minorities. African Americans. It's hitting them particularly hard. Uh, is that because of the the jobs that they're in um, essential services, well, or I want to see what they're particularly if they're if they if they're honest about this? Because I've talked to several African American friends of mine who have said something, and I will see if it's in here. As researchers scramble to get a firmer handle on the coronavirus toll, one aspect of the illness is coming into focus. It's hitting black communities around the nation disproportionately hard. A stew of medical and sociological factors appears to be at play. There's a growing call for the feds to mandate the collection and release of data on the disease along racial lines. The pattern is seen in places such as Milwaukee, where black residents make up 73% of coronavirus deaths in the surrounding county, but only 28% of the population, reports the Washington Post. Nearly twice as many black residents have tested positive as white people there. Notes the New York Times. Similar disparities are seen in New Orleans, Detroit, North and South Carolina, Las Vegas, Chicago, pretty much everywhere. In Chicago, African Americans account for less than a third of the population, but 72% of the deaths. Those numbers take your breath away, says Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This is a call to action moment for all of us. ProPublica was one of the first to report on the emerging racial disparities. Its uh, story notes that, generally speaking, African-Americans have higher rates of underlying medical conditions that can make COVID-19 lethal, including diabetes, heart disease, asthma, and hypertension. Mm. What's more, African-Americans have gravitated to jobs in sectors viewed as reliable paths to the middle class, healthcare, transportation, government, food supply, which are now deemed essential, rendering them unable to stay home. Right. Well, that's not true. It's not that you're unable to stay home. It's it's you you. Um, I don't know. There, there is so. I just wonder if they're going to tell the whole truth about. Well, it, people that work at grocery stores, for instance, or truck drivers, or whatever, they are essential. I mean, they're yeah. able to work. I mean, most people, mm-hmm. if they're able to work, they're going to go to work right now because otherwise, what do they have? What are their options? Yeah. Especially if you're a paycheck to paycheck person, you're not going to be able to afford anything if we you don't go to work have kate on the phone kate will be able to tip us off as to what's going on there's no question <laughs> dr kate how are you i'm doing well how are you doing doing extremely well we're just uh looking at some data that says that african americans are are suffering disproportionately from the coronavirus um, have you seen the data on this at all? And it's not all I'm going to talk about. It just happened to pop up on the screen just before you came on. Um, and I'm just um, wondering. I've, I've read pieces. Yeah, I've seen pieces of it. It's not surprising, to be honest. Um, in general, people of lower, lower socioeconomic status usually don't have access to health care or maybe maybe have lower systems. Um, so a lot of times that does happen, that if something like a virus comes through, it's going to like wipe out places of lower socioeconomic status. So if you're in a city, like you were talking about with the Milwaukee data, um, I, I, I'm not really surprised to hear that. I think it's super unfortunate, and that's not the country I want to live in. I want to live in a place where every single person has access to proper health care and nobody is affected by a virus because everybody can get a mask. Like, that's my goal. Way to dive, yeah. we'll dive into something yeah. really heavy here. <laughs> right. No, I, I think it's important, though, that people understand, because, once again, I'm saying this because I grew up in a neighborhood like that, and this has nothing to do with skin color, race, or anything like that. But 
I will tell you, having grown up in a neighborhood like that, that we did not follow rules the same way other people did. Now, that's not a black thing, a white thing, whatever. It's more of a poor people thing. So I don't, I'd like to see, yeah. I guess now that I'm seeing the African-American numbers, I would like to see all the poor people numbers. And nothing, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend anything here. It's horrible what's happening to black people. That's not what I'm saying. I just think, is it more of a poor people thing than it, it is just a racial thing? Because I'd like to know, and if it isn't, it isn't. But I'd like that yeah. information, right? Me too. Oh, Me too. I just want to see the data. But I think you have a very valid yeah. point. That's exactly what I would expect: is that it's more All of a right. socioeconomic piece than a racial piece. Yes. Yeah. But but they just the news news newsprint newspapers news organizations just can't stay away from trying to make this somebody somebody's fault. You know, we are all in this fighting together. We're fighting as hard as we can. Exactly. But I'm just, you know, right. we, so I don't know that they need to stir the yeah, pot and, and cause it. I, I hope it's not. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's not stir the pot. How about this? In general, let's have, make sure everybody's washing their hands and then they're scrubbing yep. their hands really well. Um, what they say right now is that the virus, they think, has a really weak membrane on the outside. So that when you wash your hands, you're actually, it's the scrubbing factor, the way that you're using your fingernails or a scrub brush to rip that virus in half. That's the most important part. That's why you've got to scrub for 20 seconds. That's more important than the soap factor. Mm-hmm. I have a question about hand sanitizer since you're a chemist. <laughs> yeah, let's Kate talk about the it. It's Kate the uh, chemist. Gather. So I, I just was wondering, so, okay, let's say I am just a lucky person and I happen to have a big thing of Purell, which I don't. But if I do, uh, if, I, if I use a big glop of Purell and get my hands all covered in it, can I, like, then touch a doorknob? <laughs> like, five minutes later and still be kind of protected or is it just like uh, gone it's evaporated by then other way other way around other way around touch a doorknob and then use the hand sanitizer yep. to kill anything that's on your hand um so it's an after effect assume that you assume that you're infected assume that you've whatever you've touched while you're in the grocery store your hands are bad so don't touch your face at all and then it's, as soon as you can use hand sanitizer to wipe your hands down and then as soon as you get home um, I actually change my clothes right away. I rip those clothes off, throw them right into the washer, and then I scrub my hands down from fingertips to elbows. It's a little crazy. Um, it's a little excessive, but I think in this time you might as well be overprotective because it's you know you've got one life to live, so let's protect ourselves. So even if you go outside and you're just walking the dog and you don't really talk to anybody, you don't see anybody, you're just walking the dog. You would come in and do all that. Yeah, I wash my hands. I, well, I do. I wash my hands after I walk my dogs anyway, because I don't know about you, but yeah. my dogs always go to the bathroom, so I have to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's sure, just, I do like too. a normal routine anyway. Yeah, um, but I would say more in public. Like, So if for us, we're in self-isolation okay. here in Austin, so we only go to the grocery store. So I'm, I'm strictly talking about grocery store when I'm out in the public, where it's places where you have to assume that you're, you're exposed. Um, we're, we're wearing a health homemade mask right now. Um, I just made one for my husband because he has to go to the grocery store today. So he's going to test it out and hopefully he stays safe. It stays on his ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, I have ponytails. Yeah, I use the ponytail holders to wrap it around. It's it's quite I, um, goofy, but we engineered something and we're going to hopefully, hopefully it'll help just a little bit. So. Yeah, I've seen those. Uh, I've seen those homemade ones on uh, with with the hair binders on Facebook and stuff. It's, it's yep. actually pretty smart. Yep. Very smart. Mm-hmm. That makes total yep. sense. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to do- Dr. Kate. Is it Bieberdorf? Is that how you say your name, Dr. Kate? Yes. Bieberdorf. Yeah, you nailed it. But my stage name is Kate uh, the Chemist, so usually people say that Kate. instead. It's easier than Bieberdorf. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with you on that. We'll go with Kate the Chemist, the Bieberdorf. Look, we, we're from Minnesota originally, so basically the name like Bieberdorf, Bieberdorf or any or any German or or that kind of name, but yep. Minnesotans can handle it. It's yep. not a problem. Kate, the chemist, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> no the big problem. book of experiments, how to keep kids entertained yeah. and educated while quarantined. And, uh, you know, we can talk all about COVID-19, packed with 25 incredible science experiments kids can do at home. Kate, the chemist, in, in, uh, introduces young scientists to the fascinating world of STEM. Tell me about the fascinating world of STEM. 
Well, it's my favorite thing. I have a PhD in inorganic chemistry. I'm a chemistry professor at the mm-hmm. University of Texas. And part of my like thing that I do on the side is I interact with kids and I try to get them excited about science. And what I've been doing over the last couple of years is building a basically a, a, a list of tons and tons of experiments that kids can do at home. So last May, I put it into a book and came up with a big book of experiments. Um, and now uh, it's kind of serendipitous that we're in this situation where parents are just begging me for experiments to do with their kids. And I'm like, please look at the book. I have 25 amazing things that I've put together for you guys. Um, I'm also posting things on Instagram right now. Every single day I'm posting something new. So today just went up. It's a puppy slime video. Um, but I've also done fake tattoos. I've taught people how to do a bounce, make an egg bounce. Um, it's awesome. I'm having so much fun making fun science experiments for kids right now. Now, this is a question for our four-year-old granddaughter. Do you have any any fake poop recipes? Because she <laughs> thinks poop is very hilarious right now. He does. Hilarious. No, but you know what? I can come up with something because I think that's funny. In my book, in my book, I actually have edible snot, so I think that's kind of oh, a, maybe see. a second best. You can start there. She would, um, but yeah, yeah, she would I, definitely I like, like that. I can come up. Yeah. You yep. should do it. It's very fun. <laughs> she loves any gross thing. It's hilarious. It's so funny right now. You know, Dr. Classic Kate, an kid. example that of that. perfect. <laughs> she will be four years old next month. In May, she'll be four years old. But uh, the other night, our daughter knocked on the bathroom door and said, how much longer are you going to be in there? And she said, I've got a lot more turds to come out. <laughs> <laughs> mm. oh, oh, my gosh. She's so just something like, else. Oh, okay. I always, I'm really wondering what's going to happen to this girl when she grows yeah, up. Yeah, it had to be unbelievable. <laughs> Maybe she'll be a chemist. <laughs> Dr. Kate, are, are the kids, let's say, 9, 10, 11 years old, are, are they scared? Are you running across that? Do they have an understanding of what's even going on in the world Uh-oh, right did now? Did I lose you guys? Oh, can you not hear me? Oh, oh, I can mm-hmm. hear you now. Okay, sorry. I heard, okay. I heard there the we kids. Go. That's all I heard. Okay, well, uh, are the kids eight, nine, ten? Oh, there we go. Can you? Okay, good. Um, Are the kids eight, nine, ten, eleven years old? Are they are they really scared right now? Do they understand what's going on? How are they doing? Some do, some don't. I think it depends on how much people tell their kids. I personally believe that you can explain science to any kid, even a two year old. Um, You obviously Mm -hmm. have to give it to them in layers. But right now, I think you can tell them the truth. And the truth is, there's a virus out there, and we are doing everything we can to stay safe. So that's why we're washing our hands and being very diligent about what we touch. That's why we're not going to the grocery store as a family. Um, and you can tell them little doses of it, but explain explain why you're washing your hands. You're ripping a virus in half. Make it fun. See if you can rip the virus in half a lot by scrubbing your hands really well. Um, Ooh, kids are fun. They, they can accept the science. You just have to tell it to them. Yeah, well, see, that's the whole deal. Sit down and tell it to kids. Yeah, kids love. I, look, I remember being a little boy, and Kate, you're way too young to uh, to remember this. As Andy and and my wife Catherine, but there was a there was a uh, a scientist, Don. Like, what was it Don Herbert? I think was his name. Uh, he was a big scientist, and he he was a chemist, and he was on TV every Saturday morning when I was a little boy, and you know, we started out with really important experiments like mixing. Uh, soda powder with vinegar <laughs> watching it bubble up yes. but you know, <laughs> i remember watching that and watching science go on and watching chemistry going on because he went from this to this to this it was fascinating i think kids love your stuff dr kate Thank you. I really hope they do, too. We're getting a lot of um, pictures and uh, emails coming in right now of kids doing my bubble snake or my moon rock. Uh, the kids are just responding to it. And I made sure that people of any socioeconomic status can do these experiments. Um, so most of these materials are in your kitchen right now or in your craft drawer. I just I wanted to make sure any kid, no matter where they're from, where they live, um, they can do these experiments. top of the hour to see what's there new. There it is. Here we are. There we go. Apparently we're having some uh, troubles lately. Well, I just, uh, we've yeah. been told that there are just, there's <laughs> so many people on the internet right now that yep. you can't even, you can't even handle it. That I guess the internet is overrun because everybody shelters in place, which is a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. 
But, um, yeah, that's why we're having a little bit of a problem. I guess it's happening all over the United, all over the world, apparently, what it's go- what's going on. We're talking to Kate the Chemist, the big book of experiments. The book is available on Amazon, of course, so you can have it delivered to your house. You don't even have to go outside. You can just get the book. They'll bring it to your house, right? That's right. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> I think it is a wonderful thing. Is there one particular, let's say for four or five-year-old or four or five-year-olds, is there one experiment that you would recommend from your book? Because we're going to go back home on Friday. We've been uh, we've been out of town for quite some time. We're going to go home and see our grandkids uh, this weekend. Is there one experiment we could do in our kitchen that they would re- that, that that they would just love a, a two year old and a five year old or four year old? Absolutely, yes. So I I did an experiment on Instagram last week. It's called fake tattoos. All you need is cornstarch and Kool Aid mix. If you don't have Kool Aid mix, you can use food coloring, and it's super super simple. And you can do little tattoos on your body, and then you can they wash right off, or you can use liquid bandage to keep them up there. Um, but check yeah, yeah check my Instagram out at eight, Kate the Chemist. And you'll be able to see tons of videos where I actually walk you through step-by-step. And they're safe for kids of all ages. Now, you know, you only got about a minute or two left here, but I want to hear about the bubble snake. Now, you got, look, I'm not exactly (laughs) five years old, but I want to hear about the bubble snake. It's so fun. It's so fun. So what you do is you take a plastic bottle and you chop the back part off and you cover the plastic bottle with a a rag and then use a rubber band to kind of strap that rag onto the bottle and then what you can do is use food coloring on that rag, dip it into soapy water, and then you breathe directly into the plastic bottle. And what happens is the bubbles in the dish soap actually are um, can trap the exhale, so your gases in your exhale, like your nitrogen, your oxygen, your carbon dioxide, and whatnot, and they're trapped in your exhale, and you make this giant, long bubble snake. I actually just did it on Wendy Williams this morning, so as soon as that goes up for her segment, you'll be able to see that one as well. It is a wonderful thing. The book is called Kate the Chemist, The Big Book of Experiments. It's on Amazon. It's available everywhere. You do a great job, Dr. Kate. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Stay healthy and safe, guys. You too. Thank you very much. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.